Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Educating Investors Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode, Characteristics of Bear Market. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. In this week's topic, I will discuss what is a bear market and characteristics associated with bear markets. At the end, I hope to have given the listeners a better understanding of a bear market. I think a good place to begin would be to actually discuss the differences between a market pullback, correction, and a bear market. A market pullback would be a downturn in the stock market that is less than 10%. According to data from LPL Research, since 1950, the S&P 500 has averaged around 3-5% pullbacks per year. So what is a correction? A correction is a decline of 10-20% to in the price of a security, asset, or financial market. Corrections can last anywhere from days to months or even longer. Corrections are normal parts of market cycle. As a matter of fact, if you look at domestic and international stock market indexes, these markets averages a correction every year. The key is to stick to your personalized asset allocation based on your financial plan by rebalancing the portfolio as necessary. According to J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Market, over the last 42 years, the S&P 500 has averaged an intra-year decline of 14%. The annual returns were positive in 32 of those 42 years. The Russell 2000 Index, which is a small-cap domestic stock index, has averaged an intra-year decline of 18.8% over the last 39 years, with an annual return being positive in 29 of those 42 years. And finally, the EFA Index, which stands for the Europe, Australia, and Far East Index, which is a foreign-developed stock market index, has averaged an intra-year decline of 15%, with annual returns being positive in 31 of those 42 years. Now that we've discussed a correction, let's go over what a bear market is. A bear market is a decline of 20% or greater in the price of a security asset or financial market from a recent high. Since 1942, the S&P 500 has gone through 14 bear markets, so markets don't average a bear market decline in every year. Since 1942, the average bull market period lasted 4.4 years with an average cumulative total return of 155.6%. The average bear market period lasted 11.3 months with an average cumulative loss of negative 32.1%. So over the long term, markets tend to be up more than they are down, but in order to get the long term average return, investors must be invested through the complete cycle. So now let's discuss four characteristics associated normally with a bear market. The first one are recessions. Second is commodity spikes. Third is aggressive central bank policy. And four is excessive valuations. Let's start with characteristic number one, which is a recession. Estimates for economic growth in the U.S. and internationally are still expected to be positive, but slow in 2022 and 2023 as easier monetary policy and fiscal stimulus starts to be pulled from the global economy, as well as the increasing global debt levels. The Federal Reserve, as of its economic projections in December, shows above-trend growth of 4% for 2022 before moving back toward trend growth seen since the great financial crisis with projections of growth of 2.2% for 2023, 2% for 2024, and long-run growth of 1.8%. The IMF sees growth in the U.S. as of their January 2022 World Economic Outlook update of 4% in 2022 and 2.6% in 2023. The World Bank Economic Outlook for U.S. Economic Growth as of their January 2022 outlook was of 3.7% in 2022 and 2.6% in 2023. 
And finally, the OECD sees economic growth for the U.S. in 2022 of 3.7% and in 2023 of 2.4%. It's not just the U.S. economic growth that is slowing, but also global growth. The IMF shows world growth of 4.4% in 2022 and 3.8% in 2023. The World Bank has world growth of 4.1% in 2022 and 3.2% in 2023. And finally, the OECD shows world growth of 4.5% in 2022 and 3.2% in 2023. So economic growth is slowing. What is the probability of slowing growth turning into a recession? A recession is a macroeconomic term that refers to a significant decline in general economic activity in a designated region. It has typically been recognized as two consecutive quarters of economic decline as reflected by GDP in conjunction with monthly indicators such as a rise in unemployment. However, the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER, which officially declares recession, says the two consecutive quarters of decline in real GDP are not how it's defined anymore. The NBER defines a recession as significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy lasting more than a few months, normally visible in real GDP, real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. A number of indicators are available that have been pretty successful in predicting the probability of recessions coming. The first and one of the most popular recession indicators is the inverted yield curve. An inversion occurs when some or all the yield curve ceases to be upward sloping. This occurs when shorter dated yields are higher than longer dated ones. Any inversion of the yield curve tells the same story, an expectation of weaker growth in the future. Yield curve inversion is a classic signal of a looming recession. For the purpose of this discussion, I'm going to use the 10-year, 3-month Treasury yield curve, which is the yield curve that the Fed tends to look at. The 10-year, 3-month U.S. Treasury yield curve is currently flattening, but not inverted as of yet. The spread between the 10-year and 3-month Treasury is 1.579%. The spread between the 10-year and 2-year Treasury curve is down 2.389%. Over the last 50 years, the median span between inversion and recession starts is 12 months, with a range of 5 to 16 months. Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland and the Federal Reserve Bank of New York have recession indicators based on the 10-year, 3-month Treasury yield curve. Cleveland Fed recession indicator was recently updated on January 27th. It showed a 4.65% probability of recession in the next year. The indicator does not need to get near 100% to predict an upcoming recession. Normally, once the probability is near 40%, recession fears are elevated. Federal Reserve Bank of New York also has a recession indicator of their own based on the same 10-year, 3-month Treasury yield spread. It was updated as of February 4th and currently shows almost a 6.04% probability of a recession in the next year. A reading above 30% has preceded all recent recessions. The measure has breached the 30% threshold before every recession since 1960. Another indicator of recession has to do with the Federal Reserve tightening cycles. So what is a tightening cycle or a tight monetary policy? Tight monetary policy is a course of action undertaken by central banks such as the Federal Reserve to slow down overheated economic growth or to curb inflation when it is rising too fast. The methods used by central banks to tighten policy include raising rates, forward guidance, tapering of asset purchases, and rolling off assets held on their balance sheet. David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research pointed out since 1950 there have been 13 cycles where the Fed's tightened interest rates and 10 of them ended in recession. The three times where rate hikes did not lead to recessions were due to the Fed stopping short of inverting the yield curve. 
According to Ned Davis Research, recessions begin a median of 25 months after the start of tightening. And recessions have generally come after the Fed has finished hiking rates in a tightening cycle, not while they're in the process of raising rates. The Fed has not started to raise rates, but Fed fund futures from the CME show currently a 100% probability of them raising rates at their March meeting. It shows a 85.7% probability of the Fed raising rates by a quarter point and a 14.3% probability of the Fed raising rates by a half a point. Even though they have not officially raised rates, they have tightened policy by tapering their asset purchases, which they should finish in March. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, the Wuxi Shadow Federal Fund rate stood at a negative 0.20% as of February 8, 2022. This is an increase from November of 2021 when it stood at a negative 1.85%. This means that the Fed's tapering has tightened monetary policy by 1.65%, which would be like making just over six quarter point rate hikes. The next recession indicator that I would like to discuss is the Leading Economic Index, also known as LEI, which is put out by the Conference Board on a monthly basis. The index is a combination of 10 sub-indicators, all of which tend to lead the overall economy. The indicator has never failed to roll over in advance of a recession starting. Historically, the average is 13 months from the LEI peak and at rolling over to the start of a recession. It has not currently peaked or rolled over as of yet. Finally, I'd like to discuss a couple of proprietary indicators that have tended to be pretty good at predicting recession. First comes from Jeffrey Gunlack, who's the founder of Double Line Capital, which is an investment firm. When the current U3 unemployment rate is higher than the 36-month moving average, then recessions are more likely. The current U3 unemployment rate is not higher than the 36-month moving average, so this indicator at this time is not calling for a recession. Currently, the U3 un- unemployment rate is 4%, with the 36-month moving average of 5.71%. One indicator that has started to look more ominous in regards to the probability of a global recession is the Ned Davis Global Recession Probability Model. Its current reading is at 77.65. When this model has been above 70, 89.6% of the time recessions is followed. At the minimum, it is showing that global growth is slowing. Although the yield curve has not inverted as of yet and the Fed has not even started raising the Fed funds rate, the flattening of the yield curve continues to pretend slowing economic growth, which could lead to possible inversions as the Fed raises short-term rates and if the long end of the curve does not steepen. The key for investors to watch will be the yield curve. According to data from Oxford Economics since 1965, the average correction without a recession was a negative 15.4%, while during an average recession, the market averaged a negative 36% return, which is a bear market. So let us move on to the next characteristic of bear markets, which is commodity spikes. Commodities have been moving up with many of them hitting multi-year highs. The Bloomberg Commodity Index is up over 30% over the last year. The commodity index recovery from the COVID lows has been impressive, so there continues to be a spike in commodities, which can be a characteristic of bear markets. Historically, the market tends to take geopolitical events in stride. According to data from LPL Research, the average drawdown for political events has been a negative 4.6%, and markets on average recover it in about 43 days. Doesn't mean that some of the geopolitical events could not lead to larger drawdowns, but normally if they do, they recover quickly. One of the major concerns about a Russian invasion of Ukraine from a market perspective would be the potential for additional spike in agricultural commodities as well as oil and natural gas. Third characteristic of bear markets is aggressive central bank policy. 
If we look at what the Fed is looking to do in regards to finishing the tapering of their assets purchases, raising the Fed funds rate, and the rolling off of their balance sheet, this could be a very aggressive central bank policy. As stated earlier, the tapering of their asset purchases, which will end in March, has tightened policies by 1.65%. The CMB Fed funds futures are pricing in around 1.5% of rate hikes in 2022. This is approximately 3.15% of tightening before they even start to roll off the balance sheet. According to the Deutsche Bank report, it approximates that $650 to $700 billion of drawdown equated to around a 25 basis point hike during the last period of quantitative tightening. A more recent report from Deutsche Bank economists estimate that if the Fed were to reduce holdings by around $1.5 trillion between this summer and the end of next year, it could have the effect of around three-quarters percentage point rate increases. We use a starting point for quantitative tightening to start the last half of the year at the $100 billion cap that Raphael Bostic mentions. That will mean that $600 billion will be rolled off, which would be like another rate hike of a quarter, base, quarter percent. This would mean a total amount of tightening of around 3.4%. This would be a fast tightening cycle, which would normally lead to an inversion of the yield curve, slowing economic growth, and a possible recession. It's not only the Fed, but other central banks around the world also tightening policies. During the first five weeks of the year, year-to-date central banks worldwide have made 51 monetary policy decisions, with the policy rate being lowered three times, rates increased 24 times, and rates left unchanged 24 times. Rate cuts accounted for 8.6% of all changes to monetary policy stance in 2022, while decisions aimed at tightening the monetary policy stance accounted for 91.4%. The cumulus size of rate cuts for 2022 has been 410 basis points, while the cumulus size of rate hikes for 2022 has been 1,650 basis points for a net change in rates of 1,240 basis points. So aggressive central bank policy is happening around the globe, which is a characteristic of bear markets. Finally, the last characteristic that tends to occur around bear markets is excessive valuations. Starting in the U.S., if we look at valuations on the S&P 500, we see that quite a few valuation metrics are showing that the S&P 500 to be slightly overvalued. However, they have come down with a recent pullback in the markets. According to the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Market, the current forward P.E., cyclically adjusted P.E., also known as CAPE, price of book, and price of cash flow for the S&P 500 are higher than the 25-year average for the S&P 500. This is currently happening with a backdrop of earnings growth that is expected to slow this year. According to Faxit, they estimate earnings growth for the S&P 500 of 8.6% for 2022. In terms of international equities, the EFA index current forward P is 14.4 times, while the emerging markets is 12 times according to Denny Research. So in comparison to the S&P 500, both of these areas are trading at cheaper valuations based on forward P-E ratios. Earnings growth has been slowing internationally as well. Currently, for the EFA index, estimated earnings growth for 2022 is 5.8%, and for the emerging markets, earnings growth is estimated at 8.2% for 2022. So U.S. markets represented by the S&P 500 are slightly overvalued based on historical averages for a number of valuation metrics, while the international developed and emerging markets are trading at lower valuations to the U.S. So let's recap some of the characteristics that can accompany a bear market starting with recessions. I think this was one that should be watched, but the main indicators are not showing the potential for a recession in the U.S. or globally yet. Investors need to keep an eye on the yield curve inverting and the end of the rate hiking cycle, which tends to start the clock for upcoming recessions. 
The next characteristic would be commodity spikes. Commodities have been spiking over the last year or so due to supply chain constraints and plenty of demand. The bear market characteristics is currently flashing red, but commodity prices could come down with improvement in supply chains and slower demand due to a slower economy. Next is aggressive central bank policy. The spare market characteristics is also starting to flash red with the aggressive tightening that the Fed is looking to embark on with the ending of their asset purchases, raising of the Fed funds rate, and potential rolling off the balance sheet. This is happening with the backdrop of tighter monetary policy around the world. And finally, the last characteristic associated with bear markets, excessive valuations. If you look in terms of the current valuation metrics on the S&P 500, I would say that the valuations are stretched but have come down with a pullback in the markets. But this is coinciding with slower earnings growth. Looking internationally, valuations are more reasonable, but earnings growth is slowing overseas as well. So bear market characteristics of commodity spikes and aggressive central bank policy are currently in play, with valuations stretched but recently falling and recession indicators not flashing currently. It's important to know that you don't need all these factors to be present to have a bear market. For example, in the bear market that accompanied the great financial crisis, we had a recession, a commodity spike, an aggressive Fed policy, but no excessive valuation. During the tech bubble, we had a recession and excessive valuation, but no commodity spike or aggressive Fed policy. I am not predicting that a bear market is imminent, but again, I think it is important for investors to be educated in factors and characteristics that can cause a bear's market to appear. This allows the investor to resist their financial situation to see if any changes are necessary to their asset allocation based on their financial plan. The key for any investor is to invest through the market pullbacks, corrections, and bear markets to achieve the long-term consistent return of the markets. According to data from LPL Research, the average return for the S&P 500 a year out from the low of a correction or bear market has been 24.8% since 1980 and was positive over 90% of the time. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share it with with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors podcast is host Scott Peterson and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for any losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors podcast show.